Blog Talk Radio. Oriented Talk Radio Show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This month, our guest is Dr. Jeff Roth, a clinical psychologist from Delaware. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Brian. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me on the Perkins platform. No problem. And to our faithful listeners, welcome back, and thank you for being part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad you've joined us. Uh, So today we have, uh, as I mentioned, Dr. Jeff Roth. Uh, He is a clinical psychologist based in Delaware, uh, has had a wide range of experiences uh, with crisis response teams. Um, He's uh, he's an author um, and um, edited a, a book on uh, crisis, um, school crisis response. Um, he, uh, I think, to, one thing I'd also like to mention to his credit is that he was um, School Psychologist of the Year by the Delaware Association of School Psychologists. So uh, we really have uh, a celebrity in our midst. Um, it's no small uh, honor to be selected by his peers of uh, uh, psychologists um, in the state of Delaware. So um, just jumping right in, uh, Jeff, uh, again, thank you for joining us. And um, we have a lot of people who are uh, really interested to hearing about your work, um, knowing that you developed a school-wide approach to conflict resolution. And um, with a lot that's happening, uh, we'd just like to hear a little bit about um, your opinions about forming, implementing um, crisis response teams uh, in school districts. So tell us a little bit about your work uh, and your experiences with that. Well, thank you, Brian, for those those kind words. Uh, here we are talking about crisis response on, on 9-11, which is certainly a sad day in our mm-hmm. nation's history. But I'm glad that we're talking on this topic at the beginning of the school year, because I think that school crisis response is just so crucial. Um, Recently, I was talking with a friend who's a retired principal, and she said, I used to look forward to the beginning of the school year with excitement, and now I look forward to the beginning of the school year with with fear of more school shootings. And that's sad. Uh, I mean, we ought to be able to look forward to school with optimism and 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 just feel like our uh, our schools are safe and secure um and certainly Brian school shootings are horrific they grab the headlines they require preparedness for sure but thankfully they are rare um m- my main focus has been higher incident uh but still devastating traumatic events like death of students death of teachers and they happen every day in schools throughout our our country we, we have an expression, it's not if a crisis will happen, it's when a crisis will happen. And when a, when a traumatic event does happen in schools, Brian, it's too late to dust off the books or get the training. It has to happen before there's a crisis. Sure, sure, sure. 
And um, and and so tell us a little bit about um, some of the some of the um, design, if you will, of of those what those crisis response teams look like. Um, well, um, the there sh- there ideally should be a district level team in a school district, and there should also be uh, school level teams. And uh, really, my, my, my history is, is kind of interesting because when I came into uh, the school district in Delaware in the late 1980s, um, there were no teams at all, no district-level teams, no school-level teams. And early on, there were a series of really tragic events. And I think this points up just the need for um, having trained crisis teams. Uh, a high school student was electrocuted off campus. Uh, a third grade little girl was murdered on her way to the morning school bus. And when those things happened, uh, colleagues and I were told to go to these schools. And we went there uh, really without, with no plan, no collaboration or training. We did the best we could with individual skills, but there was there was no teamwork or, or coordination. And we really felt like we needed to do better. So we put together a proposal um, for a district crisis response team. And amazingly, back in those days, we're told, no, we could not form a team. And I found that since that, that time that back then that was not unusual to be denied uh, permission to form a team. But we persisted. We finally got the go-ahead. We formed a team. And we got we educated ourselves at that point with some of the literature that was out there, and then we consulted with schools so they could form school level teams. Now, after the Columbine uh, tragedy, Brian, safety planning and crisis teams were mandated throughout the country. But just fast forwarding, after I wrote my first book in 2015, and I visited some universities and and school school districts and found really to my surprise that there many school districts still do not have uh, crisis teams. So I feel like I've, I've been sort of advocating for them uh, since, since then. And I, I think first it's really important to have a framework and have training, as I mentioned. And uh, one cur- curriculum and model that I can really recommend is the PREPARE model. Uh, perhaps there are those in your audience who have are familiar with it and have used it. It was uh, put together by the National Association of School Psychologists, and uh, it's really the best that I've seen. It's comprehensive. It's designed specifically for schools. Um, it has a training of trainers model so that there are m- many trainers, I believe, in every state and also in the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico and and the Virgin Islands, and the training is really inexpensive. So uh, that means so much because when you get the training, and I can talk about just some of the things in the training a little later if you'd like, but, but having a sense of the kinds of things to expect and what needs to be done during a, a school crisis can really help responders because it, it really – essentially helps them find order where there, where there's chaos. And um, children look to adults during a crisis. They look for cues as to how traumatic a situation is. So 
when when we have a frantic when you have a frantic untrained responders and an uncoordinated response it can increase perceived trauma so you've got students who um for whom the trauma reaction may become more severe you have a situation where it could take a lot longer to get back to the normal routine that we strive for but on the other hand a trained coordinated calm approach can mitigate emotional trauma uh, so really a, a trained district level team can also support school level teams and educators in a school where there's been uh, a traumatic event and they may be immobilized by a tragedy in their own school so it helps them begin to recover and we, we just strive to to help the um, administrators teachers team in, in a a school that's been stricken by a crisis to regain leadership and caring for their students. Um, sure. And, you know, I, I, I heard you uh, loud and clear, and I just want to kind of go back to something that you said just a, a few minutes ago when we first started about yes. uh, uh, crisis and a fairly uh, broad um, definition, if you will, of crisis, because what you included, you included some examples that people might not necessarily consider crises that need or crises that need to be addressed school-wide. So if there is a student who um, uh, met an untimely death or um, some other incident at the school, that you're not talking about necessarily a school shooting, a Columbine level event, or uh, right. or some other event on that on that level, is that you are really talking about various um, levels of crisis. Can you say a little bit more about kind of the the real uh, uh, sphere of influence? Some of these these what might be considered small localized incidents to actually impact the school. Can you give us just some, some examples of what you've seen and, and the response to those? Um, yes, well, the, the thing is, obviously, we, we need to be prepared for the catastrophic events like a school shooting. But as I mentioned, uh, death of teachers, uh, death of uh, student are far more, more prevalent. And when we basically have the concepts, the ideas of the concepts of school crisis response, then we're able to adjust and adapt more readily to really any crisis that, that happens. Um, so, um, you know, f for instance, um, we know that when there's a crisis, it's, it's, it's natural to look first to supporting the students but I want to emphasize the importance of also supporting and emotionally stabilizing teachers, administrators, and support staff. Um, they have to be able to care for their students. Um, so, you know, we, we learn ways of, of stabilizing and supporting teachers, for instance. So, so one of the things we, could, we would do in any crisis, no matter the scope, is we, we'd have a faculty meeting to provide information uh, to teachers about the, whatever the incident is, information about resources uh, for students and staff. Uh, crisis counseling would need to be available not only for, for students, but also for teachers and staff. 
um, in-class support can be made available for teachers who need support talking with students. And I can give you an example of that. A, uh, a kindergarten teacher who was was beloved in her school for many years, died after a long battle with cancer. There was a first grade teacher who uh, was very close to her and, in fact, was teaching many of the students that the deceased teacher had had in, in kindergarten. Uh, so she asked me would I come into the classroom and I and sort of help her talking with the students. So we went in there. We talked with the students about um, about missing uh, the kindergarten teacher, about some of the fond memories that they had from kindergarten. We did some bibliotherapy, which was I read a book called The Tenth Good Thing About Barney, which is um, about the death of a cat and just re- remembering uh, uh, fond memories. And that led to a discussion for these little ones where they talked about death of pets, they talked about death of uh, of relatives, and that also gave us a sense, well, maybe we need to follow up with some of those students um, who've, who've had losses of their own. And then, of course, Brian, I got a question, uh, do pets go to heaven? So... Mm-hmm. Um, this being public school, uh, my response was that many people believe that pets and people go to heaven. Other people believe other things. And I said, that's a really good question to take home and talk with your family about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's an example of in-class support uh, that's sometimes needed. Uh, also, floating substitutes can be available for teachers who need to take a break or reflect or seek counseling. Substitute teachers can allow teachers to attend a funeral if they choose to do so. And uh, for most severely affected uh, staff, uh, many districts have employee assistance programs so they can be referred for counseling if that's necessary. But of course, um, staff training before an event happens is best for coping and resilience when an an event happens. Um, Yes. Yeah, so so uh, interestingly, as you were talking about also crisis response, I know that uh-huh. you're really big on prevention. Um, yes. And um, and so uh, tell us a little bit about, so what does that look like in terms of how do you get uh, both adults and children ready for what might happen? How do, I, like, what does that look like exactly? Well, I, I have some suggestions and I think prevention is just so important and I'm I'm glad that you you brought that up before we get in more into more about uh, some some of the specifics about crisis response um a couple of weeks ago there was a death by suicide of a 9-year-old fourth grader uh he had told classmates that he was gay and apparently he was brutally bullied for several days before the suicide so I read that counselors and social workers and crisis response team were were sent to the school, and it's good that there was a response. But to me, Brian, this tragedy really is a reminder that before a crisis response, there's a need for prevention, and primary prevention can sometimes even uh, avoid um, this, this type of tragedy. Uh, so some suggestions that I have about prevention – and I imagine that many people in your audience are already doing a lot of these things, but uh, prevention should include a needs assessment 
for safety. It could also include cultural needs and school climate needs. And when that assessment is done, uh, a plan can be developed that really addresses some of those identified needs. Another suggestion that I have regarding prevention is forming agreements or uh, memos of understanding with community mental health agencies, hospitals, law enforcement, uh, ethnic and cultural leaders, language interpreters, and others um, before there is a crisis so that um, sometimes we get, we might get a student who is at high risk for suicide and being able to smooth the way to uh, an assessment being done at a hospital uh, is really helpful. If there's a severely traumatic event uh, in, in, a, in a school, like we had a student um, in one of our middle schools collapse suddenly, students laughed because they thought he was joking around, but then he lapsed into unconsciousness, and um, and uh, there were they they then screamed, and many teachers, administrators, the school nurse did CPR but could not revive him. So here we had a, a, a very severe, severely traumatic situation with many witnesses. Definitely there was a need for the for our district team to come in, but we also were referring a number of students to community uh, mental health agencies. And when you have a plan ahead of time and, a, and an agreement with them, it can really, again, smooth the way toward getting that, that help um, that's needed. Um, some more suggestions using physical safety measures like natural surveillance, locked doors, single location entry, really important. Uh, practicing lockdown and evacuation drills. Um, mm -hmm. Having trained risk and, um, and threat assessment um, teams uh, is, is a must. And uh, teams can have overlapping membership. It's vital to have sufficient mental health um, professionals, uh, school-based mental health. And um, I really want to add to that, let counselors be counselors, not testers. Um, mm -hmm. I've been in a high school where the school counselors were removed from the campus, and they did AP testing, and, and they really needed to be at the high school uh, to counsel kids. It was a difficult time at the school, and they were you know, they were really missed. I, I think that we can bring in retired counselors and, and teachers and administrators to, to do that kind of testing and uh, keep the counselors in the school. Um, well, you know, you know, you, you've mentioned a few things and I jotted down and I, I think there is it's a range and I'm hoping that we get to touch on them, but you've, you said a lot that sparked my interest. And I guess going back to, um, uh, what you mentioned about suicide, um, would, would some of the training that um, response teams have and or provide uh, to teachers and others in the school, might those also be how to, um, how to identify students at increased risk of of suicide or or suicidal behavior um and i always yeah. uh, you know i've had colleagues say to me you know that there's some some 
that they wonder about um, that there's risk and no risk. And, and so I think it's along a continuum, you know, that um, if we think about it that way is that they are all at risk, some of much lower than others. Um, but we have to, we have to really think about it in those terms. Um, but my question is, um, would that also be part of the function of a of a response team is to help teachers and others know how to how to identify those signs of risk? Yes, or a, absolutely. A, a school based response team, for instance, and and I guess people like the school psychologists and counselors can do uh, can do workshops. They can talk at faculty meetings. They can uh, provide information to teachers and administrators about what what are the risk factors um, what are the protective factors that we can build up in a school what are the warning signs to look for where you absolutely need to refer and you need to follow protocols to keep that that student safe and and know what to do in terms of making a referral um, there are there are also uh, indicators where we can say is this is this student at low risk, moderate risk, or high risk? And and interventions then follow from that. So teams can absolutely do that. And I think one of the things also that helps in terms of that kind of prevention is that I want to mention, if I may, Brian, the school climate is tremendously important for prevention um, and, and establishing a positive school climate. So uh, elaborating on that a little bit, uh, students when they feel connected, when they feel included and have a sense of belonging, which means, for me, having good relationships with the adults in a school and having good relationships among each other, the student peers, then if, if a student is hurting or gives some indication either of harming themselves or of harming others, then there, there's going to be communication with the adults because they're trusted, there's a good relationship, and and, and we can prevent sometimes you know, horrible things from happening. I think in terms of school climate, cultural competence is, is of tremendous importance. Understanding the culture and needs of diverse student populations. There's school-wide programs that I, I really value. Uh, examples would be social and emotional learning, positive behavior supports, trauma-informed schools. Uh, that can be a tremendous help. And also teaching and establishing norms for anti-bullying for suicide prevention, and and not just tolerating, but appreciating and valuing diversity, racial, ethnic, religious, sexual orientation, and special needs are examples that could prevent a tragedy from happening. And, and valuing pro-social and cooperative behavior, not just rules and slogans that are shallow, but norms and values that that really students and staff are going to embrace. And the interesting thing is that when you have positive school climate, we found that that also means that when a traumatic incident happens, students are better able to cope, they're more resilient, and they're able to bounce back sooner to resume academics. So Absolutely. thank you for bringing up the notion of prevention, Brian, so important. Yes, yes. So, and, and, and I also, you know, I'm, I'm really um, uh, happy to hear you, you talk about this kind of the broad definition of crisis that and and the reason I, I mentioned earlier about kind of proximity to the actual incident um, is because you know I've had a number of 
colleagues and friends who have mentioned, whether it is their own children or members of the family, um, you know, where they, they uh, one, a child has lost uh, a parent or a significant member of the family. And, um, and that those two are crises for children um, and, and trigger, that, that trigger other behaviors in that, that spill over into what is happening for the whole class and how they deal with it. And so I just wonder, because especially uh, having seen um, social emotional learning work in, in schools, from K to 12, um, about right. make, making children um, more empathetic, more sensitive and understanding uh, when, when certain things happen. But in this case, a crisis of an individual family, that's not something that immediately comes to the attention of, say, the teacher. Um, but right. that, um, and, and so I, I would like to hear a little more. I know that you've developed, you know, social skills curricula, and 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 professional development for other psychologists um, is I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit if you have any examples or or of of kind of the inevitable where not just that children are going to have these incidents happen to other children but extended members of their families and how uh, teachers and others are being prepared to deal with that when that crisis happens for a family at a school? Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that I've really become interested in recently is the idea of um, training for teachers so that they feel more comfortable kind of dealing with a situation when maybe one of the students in their class has has lost a sibling or a parent um, because, I mean, I, I think that a lot of teachers would like to be able to talk with students in those circumstances, um, help a class to be supportive, but a lot of times they don't feel that they, that they have those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so it comes back to, um, to really being proactive in the way that we that we train and prepare teachers. And I know that, you know, academics is is of tremendous importance, obviously, in a school. And I know that a lot of times teachers feel like there's a lot on their plate already. When are they going to get all this training about the social and emotional stuff? So I think that we really need to, in a purposeful way, we need to look at professional development and we need to present it in a way that's maybe longitudinal over some time and that's manageable so that administrators and teachers can gain the kind of knowledge about this the, this emotional piece, these kinds of needs, how to talk with kids um, effectively uh, um, when they've when they're experiencing grief uh, or trauma um, so that they can be more comfortable with that. Um, I think that's one of the important things that we need to uh, to start doing. Uh, activities that, that help children who have experienced trauma to express their feelings, ways to empower them, uh, teaching teachers about typical reactions that 
that um, students have when they're grieving or um, or when they've experienced trauma and when to refer them for, for more help. A lot of times, um, I mean, teachers are on, on the front lines. They're the ones that every day have the relationships with the students. And there are times when, say, a student has lost a, a close relative, a parent, a grandparent, and they don't want to burden their parents. They see their parents are grieving, but the teacher might be there to really find out what's going on and let the administrators and the counselors know and and get the student and also the family some help. So I guess those are some things that come to mind from, from what sure. you're saying. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for that. I, I, I do have one other area that I, I wanted to talk about, and it is related to prevention. Um, it, okay. it, it's something that I recently saw, and I, I can't remember, I may have been on Amazon looking, and I saw a backpack, and it just made me reflect on where we are as a society right now, um, that there's a lot of, of, and I should say, growing popularity of these backpacks that can be used as um, protection uh, against gunfire. And, huh. I, you know, I, I, I just wonder, you know, we, we've heard a lot, we've had different people for, for various reasons over the life of the, the broadcast uh, to talk about uh, the increase, why certain things happen. Uh, and I, I just wanted to know, what do you think the impact of that is, you know, having been a psychologist in, in schools, that that has on on children just knowing that um, they have been armed, if you will, with a backpack to use yeah. in the event of a shooting. This is very yeah. new in the dynamic of schools that uh-huh. that we, we have resorted to um, prevention in that way. That and and I and I and uh, for listeners, if you are a parent that has purchased one of these, and no way uh, am blaming you for what what has has happened, and and we would all go to whatever lengths that we think necessary to protect our children. I just I just right. wonder if you if you've given much thought to the impact of some of these. Uh, preventative measures being and and even the drills it's kind of a, an extension yeah. of drills that have to exist for for um, what they call active shooter drills uh, right. that schools are being designed and renovated to have certain entrances and exits in in thinking about active shooter incidents. So I, I just wanted to hear, as we you know prepare to close, just a little bit yeah. about how you, what impact you think that's also having. Uh, I think that some of these ideas, um, I think if backpacks are going to give some comfort to to students or parents, it's okay. But I think it's sad that we're also needing to resort to that, or that we resort to things like talking about arming. Uh, teachers, I think that's really uh, a very sad commentary. I think teachers need need to be armed with the means to uh, establish relationships with students and teach students and 
and be trusted by students, um, uh, not be put in a situation where they're in a hallway uh, where there might be crossfire and in comes law enforcement and, you know, who's the person that they're looking for. Um, I think that active shooter drills have to be very carefully done if they are done because some of these drills have happened in a way that without informing students uh, and and they were so realistic that they really created a traumatic uh, incident for students. They were really um, emotionally very hurt by the drill. So I think we have to be really careful. I think that lockdown and evacuation uh, drills are a good idea. Active shooter has to be really careful. I think schools can practice things like like um, like a shooter or those kinds of events using uh, what we call tabletop drills where we talk about it. Maybe we go through the scenes without the students there. But if we're going to involve students, we have to be very careful about the message that we're sending. We want schools to be places certainly where kids feel safe and um you know, school resource officers, I think, are fine, but we don't want them to feel like the schools are war zones. Mm -hmm. That's very well said, very well said. Well, uh, Jeff, as I told you, it's really quick uh, for our conversation. Um, I really that appreciate is quick. <laughs> uh, being, being available uh, to come, and um, I'm sure that, you, that there, a lot of our listeners have a lot more they'd like to hear from you. So we will we'll be tuned in to the work you're doing, and, and hopefully we'll be able to have you uh, back on the show before long. Um, so uh, please continue to do what you're doing. So uh, to thank our listeners, you so much, uh, Brian. I appreciate you're it. Welcome. You're welcome. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. And join us next show. Until next time, go well, stay well.